This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Josh Eddick filling in for Mike Gill here on a Monday, along with Hunter Brody, 97.3 ESPN. Text board is open, 609-403-0973. Because, you know, we don't have anything to talk about today, Broads. It's going to be a slow day today, you think? Oh, yeah. Well, see, I woke up this morning thinking, the Phillies are about to take three of four from the New York Yankees. Mm -hmm. And then I checked Twitter. And then I turned my TV on. And now, I'm a little upset. More than a little upset. I'm upset. I am definitely am upset. (laughs) We will be talking sports today. Not just of the news of the day, because there's a lot of things going on. I mean, the Flyers are having their first practice in the Hub City today. Sixers have had two scrimmages under their belts, and all of a sudden there's no Joel Embiid because of a calf tightness situation. Now, I said that the Phillies were going to take three or four of the New York Yankees, and that just went right over your head? Yep. Okay. I'm just letting you know that I said the Phillies were about to take three or four of the New York Yankees after what they just put on display against the Marlins, and you said nothing. Listen, I gave you... Listen, we got other things to get to before we get to that. All right? Um, but we will talk other sports today. But we got to start on top of the show with the news that came out this morning. And it is currently an ever-moving, fluid situation. And in fact, some of the information that initially came out at 8 and 9 o'clock this morning has frankly changed. <laughs> So, let's give everybody an update as of what is going on. We have 11 Marlins total players and then two coaches who have tested positive for COVID-19. The entire Marlins team has been sequestered in their hotel in Philadelphia. They are awaiting more tests for the rest of the team before they leave said hotel. In the meantime, their game tonight versus the Baltimore Orioles has been postponed. The Orioles have now left Miami to go back to Baltimore. Baseball's plan is for the Marlins and the Orioles to play in Baltimore once this situation is figured out with who is positive and who is not with the Marlins. On the flip side... The Phillies-Yankees game tonight has also been postponed. The Philadelphia Phillies are currently getting tested and then going straight home today. We will find out later tonight. Now, that could be 5 o'clock. That could be 7 o'clock. That could be 9 o'clock. I don't know. But we will find out later today that the Philadelphia Phillies, if anybody is positive, if everybody has a clean bill of health or at least the majority of the team does, the plan is for the Phillies and the Yankees to play. Now, the Yankees, according to Marley Rivera of ESPN reporting, the Yankees have suggested the Phillies should just come to New York to play the games and forget about playing them in Philadelphia because there are concerns about the Marlins visitors' locker room. On top of all this, also being tested for the Phillies are the staff who have worked in and around the Marlins over the three-day weekend. They are being tested as well. So... Baseball, as of this moment, has announced they have no plans of canceling or suspending the season just because of the Marlins. Their plan is, Hunter, to let everybody else keep playing because those teams 
don't have positive tests. And the hope is, according to people like Jeff Passan and Bob Nightingale and all the guys who cover baseball, that they would just have double headers later on. Now, I've laid it all out there for everybody of what is going on at this moment. I can get behind what baseball is doing right now. See, there's this narrative out there that the MLB is a joke. How can they let this all happen? And if you remember, they were trying to get a hub city. They were trying to go to specific areas, and all the players would come out and say, I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to have to stay there for months. And you know what? They are allowed to have that opinion. I'm not knocking them for wanting to be with their family. I get during a pandemic that that is very important to people outside of sports. But this is the alternative. If the players did not want to be in hub cities, this is how you need to operate. And it's going to be a lot harder to keep everybody doing the right things outside of the ballpark when you do it this way. So did baseball go the smoothest way possible? No, they didn't, right? Should they have played yesterday's game? I don't know, because here's the thing. You understand during a pandemic right now that you will have guys testing positive, and you can't just cancel every game when teams test positive, right? So if two were, actually, I believe the number was six yesterday for the Marlins, four starters, and it was six people involved with the Marlins that tested positive for this Phillies game, they didn't play, and then you put in other guys. I don't know how else you could do it if you're not going to cancel those games. Well, the whole point of these taxi squads, remember, was that, hey, if someone tests positive, we just grab somebody from the, the minor league squad and bring them all up. The Baseball has contingency plans for this. It's not totally void of planning. What baseball didn't plan for is what the other sports are planning for, which is, if you violate the trust code, whatever you want to call it, but there is a level of trust, right? There's a level of, I'm trusting you to not mess this up for everybody else. The other sports are planning, and we've seen it with the NBA already. The NFL is proposing rules for this. Baseball didn't institute any legitimate penalties if people bring the virus into the environment. I think that's maybe where baseball needs to be the most criticized. Absolutely. I can totally support that. I think that the MLB should have something in place. But when you allow these guys, like, there's so much freedom. And that's the thing with not being in a hub city, not being in, I believe the discussion at the time was Florida, Arizona, Arizona and there was one other place, Texas maybe? Well, okay, so there were, actually there were four different places, because I, I forget the fourth place on the top of my head, but you're right. The main two, though, were Arizona and Florida. If we could bring everybody back to March, which seems like a, a century ago at this point, right? Back then, the idea was, the first idea was, everyone goes to Arizona. Then the second idea was, you have one league and another league, one in Florida, one in Arizona. Then there was the idea of, let's take all the teams in the East and Central Division and put them in Florida and then the West Division in Arizona, and we'll blend the leagues for one year, and we'll... They were willing to experiment. But every idea of a hub and a bubble that was proposed, the players said no. So I ask you, Hunter, isn't there a level of responsibility on the players to say, you didn't want the, the restrictions? Now it's on you not to ruin it for everybody else. Absolutely. You would think that's how it goes, but we understand that that's not how it plays out majority of the time. We're seeing this happen right now in the NBA, which, I mean, I'm a little shocked, but at the same time, I'm not. Lou Williams sneaks out, and well, not sneaks out. He said that he had a family matter, and then 
He was at... He went to a funeral, by the way. Yes, he, he, found out. he did go to a funeral, but afterwards there was a strip club in play. Apparently, that's his favorite place to get food. Regardless, the moral <laughs> of the story is... We'll get into that later. Yeah, you're in Orlando, and you think that you're in this bubble, and you have people... Not, I keep saying sneaking out, but going to places they shouldn't be when they have excused absences right. to leave the bubble. Uh, now... And intensify that by having all of this freedom, and it's going to be hard to keep these players in check. So you're right, it does go on the players for wanting to be in this type of scenario. They didn't want to be quarantined in their own type of environment. This is what they said that they will do, so to an extent, it is on them. I also think it's on baseball to give them the most amount of you know health protocols that they possibly could as well, though. Text board is open, 609-403-0973 to get on the conversation. Again, the Phillies game tonight has been postponed. The hope is, is as long as there's not some break outbreak in the Phillies, which at this moment, you know, we can't say one way or the other. But what we do know is that as long as everyone is healthy and to go, baseball has already come out and said the healthy Marlins players, that's the word they used, healthy, will play the Orioles in Baltimore. I don't have a problem with that, do you? No, and I think that that's what we need to focus on. And that's why I wanted to bring us back to an audio cut that I had a couple months ago. So when the NBA, when we were also questioning what the NBA is going to do, right? On the Hoop Collective podcast, Om Young-Sook, who has covered the NBA for a long time, Om brought up this point. And at the time, I think people were like, this guy is insensitive. This guy is really taking this way too lightly. But in the context of everything that's going on right now, I think this is more poignant than ever. This may be the new world we're going to be living in. Past Orlando. We don't know when this vaccine is going to come out for coronavirus. We don't know when the next pandemic and the next virus that's coming across the horizon because there's definitely going to be one. We know that. There's going to be there's always another virus around the corner whenever that's going to hit. And so we don't know if this might be an indicator or maybe a preview of things to come of way society is going to be. And people might have to get used to that. The new injury that keeps out somebody for two weeks is a is a virus. It sounds ridiculous in some ways, but in other ways, I think it's fair because I don't think it's fair to tell an entire sport. Just because 11 people happen to catch coronavirus means everyone else can't play because everyone else is in the clear. And I think that's where our attitudes are shifting with this COVID. And by the way, let's not forget Juan Soto, the first guy, he's still asymptomatic. All right. There are players for the Marlins. They're not all showing symptoms. I think there's a level of understanding, whether we like it or not, that we might just have to accept that the new norm is someone gets COVID, they miss time, life goes on. I also think, and I know it's not a good thing, but this is reality, you need these type of things to happen so then as a league you understand maybe what you do in the future during these type of moments, right? So it's not good by any means that this is happening to the Marlins, but will this stop other teams from having outbreaks six, seven, eight more times. Like, if this didn't happen, would you know how to handle this situation? And maybe down the road that because the Marlins had this outbreak, they know how to properly assess the situation later on, which can help baseball out. And not even baseball. Let's throw in the National Football League because guess what? They don't have hub cities. 
No, they don't. And I think that when when the NFL first came out with their rules of we're going to restrict what you do off the field. If you do certain things, like there's this whole list now of things you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to go to places with 15 or more people. No indoor this, no indoor that. If you do, you will be fined. You will be suspended. I think today makes the NFL rules make look a lot less ridiculous. It makes the whole Rashawn Holmes getting quarantined for crossing the bubble line to get Postmates delivered to him look less ridiculous. Everything now looks less ridiculous because what's going on? Baseball, the sport that prioritized money over health and safety, is now dealing with one team that we don't know when they're going to play, but they're going to play at some point. Do you think this changes, this entire conversation changes, if this is Aaron Judge, Stanton, and Garrett Cole? I don't think it completely changes because... Juan Soto is probably the biggest star right now in the Nationals. I would say yes. You are true, or you are correct. That is true. But it still hits different when you talk about the New York Yankees. The the Washington Nationals, they're not a big market. They're not the stars, right? I mean, they're just, they don't pop as much as the New York Yankees. If this is Garrett Cole, Aaron Judge, and Stanton, I don't know what they do. I don't know if they do the same thing. I don't know if they handle this situation the same exact way. I wonder if, because it's the Yankees, would they find ways to do other things? I have no clue, but the power of it being the Yankees compared to the Miami Marlins, sadly, I feel, plays a role in this. It definitely plays a role, but I think it also plays a role in the other direction. And that is, the Yankees have come out. Again, uh, ESPN has reported that, according to Marley Rivera, the Yankees have already suggested that baseball should just move the Phillies-Yankees series to your New Yorkers are going to New York anyway. I think that's what happens in the opposite direction. Because it's the Yankees asking that question, now it's an idea. Whereas if the Marlins asked the same thing, I don't know if baseball would have made the same consideration. That is very fair. I want to go back to football real quick, though, and tie this together with football. And you were talking about how some of the protocols may seem silly until you see a scenario like this, and now it's reasonable. The fact that this is happening in a sport like baseball, it concerns me knowing the nature of how football is played. In the trenches, being so much closer to one another, tackling each other. Baseball social distancing. That's what it is for the most part, right? Yes, you're in the clubhouse with your teammates. You're doing some elbows, some high fives and whatnot. But it is times 200 when it comes to the sport of football. And that concerns me. It's concerning, but it's also, I think, part of the reason why the NFL is taking the steps they are. Why the players insisted you have to do daily testing, right? Why the players are insisted the league have certain protocols in place. I think that the NFL has and will, has and will benefit from the reality that other sports went before them. They're seeing what happens to the other sports. They're seeing what works. They're seeing what doesn't work. And they're, they're utilizing that information to better protect their sport because the NFL knows that they have billions of dollars coming in if they can make it work. And I think for the NFL, even though they're a contact sport compared to baseball, I think football is going to find a way to get this done purely because of the fact that there's too much on the line. 
Well, I want to tie this back into the whole situation with it maybe being the New York Yankees instead of the Miami Marlins. If you're talking about a Sunday night football game at 825 and it's the Dallas Cowboys in this situation compared to, let's say, I don't know, the Arizona Cardinals at 425 or a 1 o'clock playing an East Coast game, I don't think it is hit the same when it comes to the type of attention it gets, the media attention, things like that. It intensifies when it's a team like the Dallas Cowboys at 825 on Sunday night. It doesn't hit with the same intensity, no. But I think that the one of the things that football is going to do will protect you from that, which is football has talked about how you can't even walk into the building if you don't test negative within 48 to 72 hours ahead of time. I think that kind of safety valve will protect you from other issues. And I, if I can flip hockey into this conversation, remember what happened with the Tampa team about a month and a change ago? And we were shocked that they came back to practice as soon as they did, remember? Right. And what happened? Every week now, hockey has got less and less and less to the point where today, zero positive tests in the latest round of testing. That's incredible. Okay, and that means everybody's walking into the hub cities this week is clear. So that tells me that there's a way to do this that football can learn from and baseball can learn from. The question is, will baseball and football learn from these things? Well, here's the other side of that as well. They're in Canada, and right now Canada's in a totally different state that we are in. So while the MLB is flying around these cities and there's numbers that are just going up and it's crazy and it's hectic, you're in Toronto, you're in Edmonton. If you walk outside, it's a totally different atmosphere when it comes to COVID-19. So that's where the trouble comes with baseball compared to what the NHL is doing. When I look at all of these, I think the NHL has the best opportunity. Even with basketball, I'm a little concerned about these people who work in the bubble going in and out and in and out. And I know that there's testing involved. I get it. But the risk is higher the more amount of people leave every day and come back. And with the hockey right now being in a different country, that's phenomenal. I hope maybe – we don't know how long this is going to last, right? Is there going to be another season after this finishes up or gets canceled? We don't know yet. And they're going to have to do a similar situation. Is there a chance that maybe all of baseball for next season is in a totally different country just so they can get it done? It's funny you mention that because I saw a tweet from ESPN's Rachel Nichols earlier. And she asked Chris Paul a similar question saying, hey, after see what's going on with baseball, do you think that maybe next year's NBA season might be in a bubble too? And Chris Paul didn't say no. Instead, he said, we're evaluating the situation. And we'll, we're trying to get through Orlando first. You know what that tells me? It's not been ruled out. It's not been ruled out for these other sports to keep bubble life until further notice. Now, what if it's possible, say, next NBA season, they do a whole thing in Canada, and they're at a whole different part where they can actually have fans, where there can be fans in the stadiums. It's just not in the cities here in the United States. I wouldn't rule that out either the way that other countries seem to be making this go away. No, and I think the other thing that just capitalized on both the other countries is, speaking of other countries, you know still who has had zero positive tests all this time? English Premier League. And? Bundesliga, and Korean baseball, and Taiwanese baseball. Other people have figured out how to do this. And by the way, Korea is supposed to start getting players, uh, fans back in the stands. 
How about that? Wow. I couldn't even imagine having that right now. I'm used to the cardboard cutouts. You like the cardboard cutouts. I think it's a good touch. Now, let me ask you this. Did you see any of the Fox broadcasts? I did. Okay, I thought I would like it. It is so bad because in, in what, 60% of the shots, you see no fans, and then randomly as a ball goes out to the outfield, there's yeah. just a bunch of random virtual fans. It's not consistent enough. No, I, I like the way soccer does it, which is it's constantly on your screen. You either got to have it on the screen or not have it on the screen. I said this on Saturday. I'm like, where's my virtual fans? I'm like, I'm watching the game. And by the way, a, a good jug of that game, you never saw the outfield on that first game between, what was it? Cubs the, and Brewers? Cubs and Brewers, yeah. By the way, that game was like four and a half hours. Too. It was a long game. Lots yeah. of runs. Lots of runs. But the thing was is that there was a good jug of that game where they weren't even panning to the outfield. So, like... If you watched the game for potentially 10 minutes between 1 and 2 o'clock on Saturday, you would have never seen the virtual fans if you weren't, like, zeroed in watching every single second of the action. So, to me, I almost think that the virtual fans in baseball is, is a no for me. I'm with you. I honestly was very disappointed. I thought when you saw the pitcher throwing the pitch, you'd see virtual fans behind the plate. But it was nobody, and then they would pan out to the outfield for a fly ball, and it's randomly there. It's silly, although I do think when it comes to crowd noise that Fox and uh, some of the ESPN games I saw do it a little better than maybe some of the regional networks because it seems like it's pumped in more through broadcast unless it's just louder in those stadiums. But I think certain stadiums are louder. Okay, I genuinely think that because I've observed in multiple games now that certain places it's obviously louder. Like I feel like at Citizens Bank Park it's not very loud. But at the um, Dodgers, the thing, the Dodgers, Dodgers game, after every pitch, if so it's a strike, there. yeah, you hear like the clapping of the fans. Yeah. I want more of that when like it when, comes to the sound. Like when they hit the home run, like you heard the crowd go nuts. Like I like that style better than the virtual fans. Give me the sound and the ambiance over the visual. Because I, I can work with the cardboard cutout. Me By too. Way, Behind this, the plate. Needs to happen. Well, I love the cardboard. Did you see what happened with Jeff McNeil, the Mets? No. So. McNeil plays in the outfield, right? Yes. He wanted a cardboard cutout of his dog in the outfield with him. Come on. He hits a home run. It hits the dog? And he hits his dog. you got to be kidding I'm me. dead serious. Wow. Now, was this in that 14-1 game when he that was, was Saturday. Oh, okay. This was Saturday's game. <laughs> the Mets got destroyed. I turned game, the TV yeah. on in the ninth. It was like, wow, 14-1. I know. It was nuts. But, no, the, the Saturday game, McNeil hit his dog with his home run. It was hilarious. I'm all for those stories. Put put some interesting cardboard, like the cardboard cutout of uh, Bill Murray, uh, Tom Hanks. Remember Tom Hanks calling out, you know, hot dogs at the stadium because he at one time was a hot dog vendor when he was younger, and you could hear him yelling, "Get your hot dog over here!" You know, that's like, phenomenal. I love that stuff. I'm all for that kind of creativity. Virtual fans, I'm out. Now, how do you feel about the, you got the Philly fanatic out there? <laughs> Pumping guys up and dancing on the dugout. Does he need to be there? Why not? I don't know, man. You're like the part of the mascot is for the people. It's not for the players. It's for the fans. But it's, it's for, for the, the television product. Like, I don't it was know. It's hilarious if that... when he shot this silly string on the Marlins fan. I don't think that tickles my fancy. Nah. Having, nah, having, the, having the Philly fanatic in a stadium with cardboard cutouts. I think it's funny. The poor guy. It's 100 degrees outside. He's getting paid well. Actually, I looked up his salary. He gets paid very well. Yeah, I take that job. One of the highest paid uh, mascots in the MLB, if not the highest. I would probably be able to work with half that salary.
you got to have that personality in the costume, though, Josh. Once you put on that costume, you got to turn into, you know, that dancing green stomach and be funny. I'm there. saying you're not. I'm just saying you got to you got to change your mindset once you're in there. Listen, I've been the guy who's had to put on the costume. Oh, you've done mascotting before. I've, is that a is that a verb? Mascotting. Verb actually. Okay. No, but I've. For Christmas and Easter, I've had to dress up for things. You, know, you get paid to be, you know, take pictures with people for like events. Um, you know, I've been the Easter bunny, been the Easter bunny at like the breakfasts, and I've done like you know Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, um, Frosty the Snowman. I had to be SpongeBob for a parade. Now I've there been- was one time I had to do the costume, the the dancing. We used to be a part of a Philly Pretzel Factory. And my stepfather was in charge, and we had an opening day. I was very young then. And I was standing outside with, like, the big sign and a huge pretzel outfit just dancing on the street, getting people to come into the grand opening. How would you feel about that? It was a hot day. <laughs> and back then, you know, like, I just got paid a couple bucks, and I'm like, yeah, time to go to Wawa and get a bunch of snacks. That's right. what I did with my money. <laughs> this was when I was super young, but that was the only time I went for it. I could probably do a good job in that Philly Fanatic costume, though. Yeah, I, I've done it before. Listen, it does get really hot, even if it's not hot outside. But it's one of those things where as long as there's people around or there's something for you to do, the time goes by. If, like, if you're not really doing anything, like, that moment, like, if you're at, like, the breakfast and you're, like, I was, like, uh, I was the Easter Bunny one time, right? And it's, like... Would love to see this, by the way. Is there any footage? VHS um, footage? I might be able to find something, at least... Give me some time. I might be able to find a picture. There, there is a picture of me out there with the uh, with the costume. Yes, um, but you wouldn't know it because I have to tell you it's actually me in the costume because you know it's not like my face is sticking out. But <laughs> the point is, is that um, there are some moments where you're like, "There's nothing for me to do. I feel like an idiot standing here and doing my thing." Well, that's what the Philly fanatic probably feels like right now when he looks on the blue seats. But you can tell he embraces it. No, he's he, owning it. Oh, he's definitely owning it. Now, what do you think about the lack of booze? You well, get a performance like Vince Velasquez, he's getting booed off that field on Sunday afternoon. I think the lack of cheering and booing in real time is definitely an interesting contrast. Because I find it interesting that the players who are not playing, they're saying, I would have trouble in this environment. Like guys like Cruck, John Cruck on the Phillies broadcast, or Chipper Jones on the ESPN broadcast. So I find it interesting that the players are still functioning in the environment. But I do think there's an element to, if that bases were loaded, for example, when the Phillies had three bases loaded yesterday and the crowd would be going nuts, that might have swayed the situation. And the flip side, like you said, with Velasquez, he would have gotten booed off the mound. That could have emotionally charged the situation as well. So... The lack of the real-time fans is definitely going to have an impact. And I don't think there's going to be boos implemented for the home team because who's going to sit there and be like, oh, this is a great time to boo the home team and then hit the button? No, that's got to be organic, man. You, you, can't, you can't have virtual booing. Even though Jay from Kate May texted in at 609-403-0973, Jay from Kate May says, Sizz's Bank Park needs some virtual booing pumped into their speakers. Oh, how about that? I didn't even see that. Yeah. We're on the same brain length there. Yeah. Jay and Kate May is uh, following along with where you're uh, going here, bros. Absolutely. Now, you know how Roger Goodell during the draft had the fans up on the screen? Maybe they can implement us booing from our TVs, and that gets played on Citizens Bank Park's Jumbotron, if you will, the big screen. The only concern I would have is how much of a delay would there be? I'm sure they could figure it out. Maybe. 
He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Henning, filling in for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash, being brought to you by Delaware Valley Accurate Dealers this month. Visit your local dealer for great deals on the award-winning Acura lineup. Coming up at 3 o'clock, Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad. We'll talk some Sixers with him. Also, we'll find out from him why the MLS hasn't done so well in the TV ratings. What his opinion on that is. Plus, football at 4 with Jeff Mosher. A lot going on in the football world as well. These new regulations, these new rules. Jamal Adams got traded, but not to the Eagles. Plus, I was listening to uh, the Inside the Birds podcast, which everybody should be listening to. And Jeff and Adam asked a very interesting question to Todd Harriman's and his answer about Jason Peters playing on the offensive line at guard stood out to me. I want to ask Jeff's opinion to elaborate more on that coming up at 4 o'clock as well. Also, ask Broads and Josh. Send your text, 609-403-0973, at Broads81 on Twitter, at Josh Hennig on Twitter. All of his post-game reactions, Sports Talk with Broads, right on the website, 973ESPN.com. You've had a busy last few days between two Sixers scrimmages, all these Phillies games, I'm sure that you're uh, amped up. Oh, yeah. Well, amped up because it's fun and exciting to do it again, but disappointed with the outcome. <laughs> Except for Saturday. Well, I, don't get me wrong. I like what the Sixers have been doing. Well, you can't not like. By the way, we'll talk with Kevin Kincaid about that coming up at 3 o'clock because the Sixers have had two scrimmages in the books. And I think we've seen some patterns, shall I say, from those scrimmages that are good to see. Some positives. Absolutely. Now, here's the thing. Ben Simmons took two jump shots in Game 1, took none in Game 2. We've seen him in the past take one and then not take one for a long period of time. Does that concern you? No, because he did something else yesterday he didn't do in the first game. Which was? He got to the foul line. That is very true. Did not did not make a lot of them, though. He made four out of seven, I believe. Four right? out of seven. But that still shows me the willingness to do it. Sometimes you got to be willing and that adds up to better things. I'm with you. I think he does need to get to the foul line. I think he does need to work on his free throw shooting. And the only way to do that is in situations like the exhibition game. So, yes, I just, I wonder, just based off of history, just basing this off of seeing it happen before, will there be a time where he takes it again soon? I mean, if we go now the rest of the regular season, these eight games after, okay, let's say they play when? Do they play on Tuesday night? Against Tuesday the Dallas night. Mavericks. Yes, they do. Right here at 97.3 ESPN. If he does not take a three-point shot that game, are you now thinking about it? Now I'm thinking about it. Okay, so you got one more game in play. And here's the reason why I say then. Because I feel like the Sixers played differently yesterday without Embiid. No doubt about it, they because did. Because it looked like that instead of Simmons being the floor spacer, Horford became the floor spacer, and he was knocking down threes. So it seemed like that they kind of inverted roles. Whereas I think what's going to happen is maybe when Embiid's on the floor, Simmons becomes the stretch. And then if it's Simmons and Horford, maybe Horford, him and they, they take turns. So maybe maybe that's where we're going with this. Absolutely. That's something that I said in my post-game reaction that's on 97.3 ESPN, where Joel Embiid would be in the post— you would draw attention to Joel Embiid. They would collapse. The defenders would collapse on Joel Embiid, and that would allow Ben Simmons to be open in that corner spot more so than without Joel Embiid on the floor. Here's the thing, though. He did end up making that three in the first game 
without Joel on the floor. He was on the bench celebrating. That doesn't mean much, though, because we all understand that the offense changes completely when you add someone like Joel Embiid into the conversation, into the mix during the rotation. So it does make sense that Ben played a completely different game. But I'll tell you what, that game that we saw, it was special. His facilitating, the way that he cuts, the way that he's constantly moving now, it's just beautiful to see. And I can't wait to see how that translates into the postseason. Listen, I don't think I I know people accused me of embellishment, but I don't think I was embellishing. You know, when Scoop B brought this up to us previously about the fact of there is a history of players doing well playing off the ball after previously being on the ball. You know, the year with Iverson with the Sixers, who can forget that? Also, LeBron James in Miami when Mario Chalmers became the primary ball handling guard. You know what happened? LeBron won the regular season and Finals MVP. When Magic Johnson first got to the league, they had an all-star point guard next to him. Magic was technically not the point guard. And what happened? Magic Johnson won two NBA titles and two NBA finals. MVPs. I'm not saying that Ben Simmons is going to be Magic or Iverson or LeBron, but if even if he is a, a measure of those guys, you better watch out. Because you know what? This Sixers team could be very dangerous. Absolutely. And you can see the team still running offense through Ben Simmons. It's not like he's not facilitating the game. Right. He's doing a magnificent job of facilitating the game just from different spots on the floor in a different way, showing the versatility. But I'll tell you one thing I do love seeing out of him is rolling to the basket. At that body frame, who's going to stop him? Who's going to guard him? Who's going to be the guy to have to defend Ben Simmons, when he is rolling that hard to the basket, and if they do find a way to trap him and get to him, well, then that means if he's rolling to the basket and you got guys collapsing on him, if Joel Embiid is standing maybe right next to him, you just throw the lob up to him, you know? Like, pick your poison. Ben Simmons rolling to the basket or Joel Embiid at the paint. It's a tough battle between those two, and then, you know what? If you find a way to get rid of both of them, that's when you kick it out, and there's Tobias Harris, bang for three. Text board is open, 609-403-0973 to get on the conversation. Uh, speaking of the games, now you mentioned we've seen two of the games now. Now with two games under your belt and multiple other scrimmages you've observed, how do you feel about the presentation? I think the presentation's phenomenal. I really do. I think underneath. I think Gil and I talked about this last week when we saw some games. Underneath of the basket might be a little bland, but not enough for me to say, oh, wow, this is awful, you know? I think the presentation is very strong. I love where the players are, and the fact that they're spaced out makes it seem like if they had a traditional NBA bench, it would look a little different. But because they're spaced out, it seems like there's more people kind of on the bench, you know? And it looks like there's people in the building compared to when you watch a baseball game and you see 40, 50, 60,000 empty seats. It gives a vibe that people are there watching because the way it views the bench. So I have one complaint. And Mike mentioned this last week. And I didn't think of it until I watched the WNBA play on Saturday. I watched that too, by the way. The WNBA clearly has the out-of-bounds a different color. The NBA doesn't. That's the only difference I would make. I think it would be a better look and aesthetic if the out-of-bounds was a different color to delineate better for the viewer. I like the fact that WNBA, the out-of-bounds was straight black. There was no variance in color. Like for the NBA, the color of the inbounds 
is the same as out of bounds, and the only difference is that black line. I think that's the only difference I would make. And I would never have thought of that if Mike Gill didn't bring that up because he mentioned the fact that it's a little weird seeing the out of bounds as the same color. Because if you watch NBA games during the season, you know, Sixers out of bounds is the Sixers color, Lakers out of bounds is the purple color, etc. Yeah, not only that, I actually saw when I was watching all these games on NBA TV, you saw a lot of out-of-bounds, people stepping out-of-bounds, and I wonder if it's actually messing with the players as well. Not only us as the watchers, but the players are losing where they're at on the court because of it. Yeah, there, there has to be maybe some... I'm sure it's probably an easy adjustment. I don't think that's a... The hardest thing to ask done is to, you know, reconstitute part of the court. I would agree. Now, I don't think that's the hardest thing to do. But I have no other issue with the NBA's presentation. I love... The background with the players on each side, and then you have the, you know, the almost like a scoreboard big thing in the background. You know, I I also love the fact that you have the players coming out pointing to people like, yeah, what's going on? Yeah, yeah I saw and that like, a couple MLB games too when they were doing the opening lineups. They pointed all the cardboard people yeah. out there. Pretty funny. Did you watch Sabrina though? Was that the WNBA game you watched? That was the game I, I watched. watched as well. I was very intrigued to watch her play. I was like, oh, I wonder how she's going to do. Tough night shooting the basketball, but. She did so well at Oregon that I, I am intrigued to see how she plays against these women. So the one thing that stood out to me was that game actually was a negative thing. Was when her teammate got injured, okay, that was because purely because I don't think they were meshed very well, that team. You could tell that like when that young lady got injured, it was because her teammate didn't know she was there. And they were all going for the ball. And If I remember correctly, though, they have a pretty young squad, they right? A, they do have a young squad. Compared to the other the other team who wins all the time. And, and you I, got experienced veterans over And there. I think this is where the pandemic is going to affect these teams. Whether it's basketball or hockey. The teams that don't have good chemistry, they're going to suffer a little bit. And if you don't have good chemistry... Someone might get injured on a fluky play like that because you don't have the cohesiveness. Here's, here's the difference, though. This was the start of the WNBA season, correct? Or was mm -hmm. this a restart? Start of. Here's the difference. You have the NHL where these guys have been playing together for 60 games. You have the NBA where these guys have been playing together for 60 games. So it's not like a fresh squad going back for a new season, if you will, with new acquisitions. You're playing with the guys that you've been playing with for a long period of time before the stoppage happens. So that's where it's a little different between what's happening with the WNBA and the other sports. Okay, I, I can work with that. I just think that I think that there might be some side effects because of well, this Well, I think pandemic. there will be, of course. Absolutely. You got rusty guys. You got guys who couldn't skate during the, during the, the whole entire COVID thing. I heard Matisse Thibel say he lives in an apartment. He couldn't find anywhere to shoot a basketball, right? Like, that's crazy to think that there were some NBA players that were legit on lockdown to the point where they couldn't even put up shots. You would think they would all be able to somewhere, somehow, find a way to put up shots. Matisse is saying, I, I couldn't. There was nowhere to go. They, they take down the nets during all these community parks. What am I supposed to do? So it's just interesting. Like, yeah, you're right. There will be side effects. Some guys can't find ice to skate for the NHL players. There will be side effects, no doubt. It's just how crucial or how big are those side effects. By the way, Flyers hockey tomorrow at 4 o'clock right here on 97.3 ESPN. I know does, that you're excited. You, does that get you excited, John? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. No, I'm not being sarcastic. 
In fact, I'm not very good at sarcasm in general, so you won't get much sarcasm from me. Really? Yeah. Sarcasm is a part of life, Josh. Sarcasm, I think, is an overused medium. Really? Yes. I think it's important, though. I don't know where I would be without sarcasm. Here's the thing. I didn't grow up in a world where sarcasm was common. You know, people were very, you know, literal. They took things seriously. You know, if you were joking around, they kind of prefaced it that they were joking or they immediately told you they were joking. Like, there was no having to, like, figure it out. So... When I moved to South Jersey, where it seems like sarcasm is like part of life down here. Sure thing. You know, it, it was an adjustment for me. So I find that there's two kinds of sarcasm. There's the sarcasm that is legitimately fun. And then there's the sarcasm that's purposely used to cover up for you just being mean to somebody. Okay, I think that's fair. But that, that's just like saying there's mean people out there and then there's funny people out there. You know? And those mean people use sarcasm. Here's right, but the par- the problem is is that there's people who who claim, oh, I was just kidding, I was just kidding. And that's where the old saying comes from, you know, there's a little truth in these sarcastic things. So, you know, it depends on the person. From person to person, it's different. And for some people, they may have trouble discerning the difference. Okay, I think that's reasonable. See, I'm all about the sarcasm at the point now where... Which is just ridiculous. Are you being sarcastic about being sarcastic? No, no. Sarcasm is, is a way of my life. Like, my fiancé claims, oh, you're not funny, right? But if someone else said something very similar, and I'll say something. To me, it's hilarious. You got people laughing, right? People are laughing. You're not funny, she says. What do you mean I'm not funny? Someone else will say the same joke with the same sense of humor, same sarcasm. She's cracking up. I look over and say, ah. I say the same joke, not funny to you, you know? So it's just crazy how it it's different for everybody else with the sarcasm. The same joke, Josh. Funny when someone else says it, I say it, not funny. What's the deal? Should I take the ring back? No, first of all, don't take the ring back. If she's stuck with you this long... It's been that, a long time. That means it's an investment at this point. Okay. This, this is not a short-term... This is a long-term investment. But I know she's joking about the sarcasm because she laughs at everything I say. It's all one big joke with her. Well, I, I think that she she sounds like the kind of woman who she feels like she needs to bring you back down to reality sometimes. Yeah, she doesn't want to give does, me the she satisfaction. Doesn't, she doesn't want you to get a big head. You know, she knows you're becoming a radio star okay. and you're a big YouTuber <laughs> and everything. So she probably feels like she needs to, you know, bring you back down a little bit every once in a while. Yeah, she doesn't want to admit that I'm funny. She's something else. She doesn't want to give you too much ammunition. Which is a joke. I give her all the ammunition she needs. Well, a loving guy. Well, I mean, you know, she she just wants to, you know, keep things. Keep me on my toes? Yeah. Ah, women. They get to us. Hey, all I can say is, like I said, she stuck with you this long. That's a positive right there. Another stuff. <laughs> what is it, eight years now? Something like that, yeah. But now it restarts, right? Like after you get married, no, no, it's no, like, no. oh yeah, one year wedding anniversary. Everything else seems to go away. No, I don't think I don't think it goes away. I I, I think there's there's investment levels, and it sticks with you. It's part of like almost like a an investment portfolio. So you say, yeah, we've been married for one year, but together for nine. Yeah. Okay. I have to get used to that. Yeah. Whenever that happens. Well, you know, you meet couples. Oh, how long have you known each other? And then you're like, well, we've known each other for nine years, but we've been married for a year. Okay, we're yeah, going to okay. have to set that date. This whole COVID thing is pushing all the weddings from this summer to next summer. Now next summer's all booked. It's a, it's a little bit of a nightmare trying to find some spots. I'm sure. He's Hunter Brody, by the way. I'm Josh Hennig.
This is the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill with the day off. Get some of your text messages throughout the show. 609-403-0973. Get on the conversation right here on 97.3 ESPN FM and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. South Jersey's radio home for Philadelphia Flyers hockey is 97.3 ESPN. Number one sports radio talk show, The Sports Bash, with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN FM. Josh Eddie Hunter Birdie here, going for Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Kevin Kincaid from Cross and Broad joins us coming up in about uh, roughly six, seven minutes from now. I want to get this text message real quick because I always appreciate a text message from dude who knows Josh, right? You know, I've lived in South Jersey for a you know good chunk of my life, so I run into people who know me, you know, and they're like, oh, I heard you on the radio, blah, 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 right? Well, we got a text here, 609-403-0973. Texter says, I grew up with Josh. He's terrible at sarcasm. Now, the problem with this text, Rhodes, there's no name on it. How can we trust this guy's opinion if I, Josh, can't verify that I actually grew up with this person? Now, why don't you take his phone number that we see on the text board, see if he's in your contacts. Maybe it's someone you know. Good idea. It's a great idea. Look at me. I'm thinking on this Monday. I like that. It normally takes me till Wednesday, till I'm really good to go during the week. (laughs) But how about this? Monday, 2.55. Good idea, Broads. I might have to actually write it down. Let's see here. Yep, I can verify this person does know me. Really? This is actually one of my best friends from high school. Now take everything you just said back, because you, my friend, are one of those mean people that you talked about when it came to sarcasm. You're just a little mean. Listen, I love the fact that this friend of mine texted in. And think about your mentality heading into this break. You were like, I'm going to rip this guy. Who is he? And now, oh, it's my best friend. (laughs) Kevin Kincaid coming up next. 